Spirit would come upon people, but he was never able to go and live in people because they had not been cleaned yet by the blood of Christ. So that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. I'm in the book of both Thessalonians. I think it was a good, I thought they were good reads. So it's kind of like going back, it's almost like we had a lot last week that, can you hear me all right? I do have a, I have a projecting voice. I always have. If there's anything you can hear is my voice, even if I'm not where the mic is. I think I learned that my mother was hard of hearing and had to wear hearing aids most of her life. So I learned how to take decimal levels off where she could hear me. So anyway, but moving into this this morning, I think it's really a neat, I think it's been a really neat study to be able to learn more about the Holy Spirit. I don't know about the rest of you, but being raised in a, I was raised in a conservative Baptist church. So there was a lot of different elements in that, but I loved it. I walked away from that and I'm realizing now in my life, if I have ever had anything that I was given sound doctrine and understanding of good theology, it was coming from that place. But in, in recognizing that not very often was the Holy Spirit even taught in Sunday school. You basically learned about Jesus from the very beginning. But how the Holy Spirit has made himself available and known. But knowing, and I'm sure as you were reading and the more you read, he came into this world not to draw attention to himself, but he came to continually draw our attention to who we're following, which is Jesus. So I'm going to kind of be sharing with you some elements of that, but also knowing that being led by the Holy Spirit is at the heart of the Christian life. That is at the heart. You don't accomplish it without him. So trying to live it on your own is like, good luck with that. I've lived that for a while. When I was saved and walked away from the Lord, and that was not a good time in my life. But the beauty of God's grace and the way that he went after me is something I've never forgotten. I would never want to go back and do it, but I think it's made me realize, he who's been forgiven much, you'll love much, and you'll love with a love that is so otherworldly that you will sense me in it when you're equipped to be able to love those that are really difficult. So in all of that, and the Holy Spirit is the one that is helping us in that. So he's become very special to me, along with Jesus and along with the Father. But knowing that I have a helpmate, knowing that I have somebody that empowers me, knowing that I don't have to walk this life by myself, and trying to accomplish in my flesh the things that only the Holy Spirit can do. So I'm hoping that that happens for you too. Because if we're led by the Spirit, our lives will blossom, ladies, and they'll flourish. But if we neglect him or, or, or we refuse him, his leading our lives and in our lives will languish. We will not move in the ways that we could. So I want you to... You know, go with me with this. You can turn to First Thessalonians because that's probably where I'm going to, not probably, I am going to start. And it's going to be out of three scriptures, actually four. And I'm going to, for the most part, it's because the gospel came to us and not only, word only, but in power. That's one of the things that we're going to be looking at is that I'm going to be going in. You've got the power of the Spirit that I'll be teaching a little bit from. You're going to have what he brought, because he brought power. Also, we're going to be looking at the joy of the Spirit, the sanctification of the Spirit, and the last one that I'm going to be sharing with you, which is really of, of importance, is why he's talking to us and telling us, do not quench the Holy Spirit. 
there's reasons for that, and it's important that we know that. But before I even get to that, which will be at the end, I want you to know that as I'm going to be sharing some of the things that I found, this doesn't mean when you quench him that you're not saved. Sometimes some people can take that to some really weird places, but that's not where I'm taking you. Once you're saved, you're saved. But there are things that we need to realize that when we quench him and we walk in those ways and we're not utilizing what he can do with us, there's things that we're losing in that. Because, ladies, at some point, we are going to, we always have the crown of salvation, always. But there are crowns that we're going to lay at the Lord's feet at some point when we get to meet him. But he's going to go through it and look at it and see what's been done for me. And then we get to look at what the outcome is of that. And as I've gotten older, I've realized I'm not going to walk perfectly, so I don't stay hung up in that. But I want to live to the best of my ability. I want to be able to give him what I can with my crowns. So that's when I get there, okay? So, the first three of these four passages presented to us, you know, are the three aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the power, the joy, and the holiness. And the last passage, of course, will be what I just shared with you. So, I'm going to go in through what the power of the Spirit does with us. And there are some good things, you know, to, to take from that. So we saw, and honestly remember that the Apostle Paul in this, he is writing a letter back to the Thessalonians. But he has already had a time that he had spent with them, he had shared the gospel with them, and he had gone back to where he's at, but he had sent Timothy to go to figure and to find out are they still walking in the power that they had when they received the Holy Spirit because they were under persecution at that place. And isn't this just the beauty of like a person that is just concerned and he wants to know that you're still walking, you're still all right, things are still the way they were when we left you, which is what he is writing to them. Here's what Timothy brought back. Here's what he's telling him and how he's encouraged in that. You know, I think that's kind of a cool way of when you've had somebody that has mentored you, that no matter what is happening, they still love you. They check in with you and they, they want to make sure that you're okay. I liked that part of it. I had a mentor for years ago that I love it if I can hear from him. So the apostle attributes the conversion of the Thessalonian Christians to the power of the Holy Spirit. His work among them was accompanied with extraordinary manifestations of the Spirit's convicting and converting power. Paul knew, I'm coming in, I am sharing, there are words going forth, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit because they had been indwelt with the Holy Spirit for the first time. Remember? When the Holy Spirit filled the church, Paul was part of that. And he knew there is something different going on in my life. There is something different going on in other people's lives when the Holy Spirit has entered. And you'll sense that. That's some of the things that I think that I want you ladies to come to a point and realize as you spend time reading about him what you've been given and what we can't accomplish. It says, with man, it's not, not possible, but with God, all things are possible. Well, he's made it possible for us now because he lives in us. So for myself, when I get in those places and I'm talking to God and it's just like, hey, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. I mean, I can't do it. Not in my power, but I can do it in your power. Recognizing that the Spirit of God is the one that will propel me. And I want you to know that because it can lead you when you're trying and you're not realizing that you're trying in your own strength. It can lead you to places of depression. It can lead you to places of sorrowing. It can lead you to places of feeling I'm not capable. All the ways that the enemy comes in and he has all of these weird little ways that he can talk to us and convince us of things that are not true. So 
So speaking to them again, you know, the apostle says, you know that our coming to you was not in vain. That was one of the things that he wanted them to know. He knew that they knew that it wasn't in vain. And when you received the word of God, you heard from us, you received it not as a word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. They knew that they were not just hearing words, you know, which effectually works in you that believe. When you have come to know Christ, it's not just words that you have received that you have heard about what the gospel is. There is something that moves in you that changes you to some degree. So it's not just I've got a man that is speaking to me, but when the Spirit of God is moving in them, and when you get saved, there's usually something that gives you some element that you know, I am not the same person. And that looks different for each person. I shared last week when we were in, the, in that circle. For me, I knew that what happened to me is for the first time in my life, I became aware of unsaved people. I knew that I had been saved. But I became aware of people around me that were not saved. And it wasn't just this small little movement. There was in me a need to continually pray, which I'm still doing today. There are some of those people 40 years ago that I'm still praying for. I am not giving up. That's, it's like a conviction of steel that God gives you. I am not giving up on this. I'm gonna to continue to pray until I leave this world and I'm gonna trust God with that person's life. That's what it was for me, but for others, it's just love that moves on you. There's a way that you, things that you like to do before you know it, it's just like, well, I don't like doing that anymore. I mean, there's little elements that let you know that the Holy Spirit is living in you. Because I think it's of the utmost importance that you recognize he lives in you. Not that he's not, he, not part of the Trinity that is part of your life. And he, and he comes for the most part, like I said, to draw attention to Christ. It's not to draw attention to him. That's why sometimes, I mean, I'm just, for me, when, it's, when I'm someplace and it's always about, you know, the gifts of the Spirit and it's more being drawn to themselves, I struggle in that because that's not what he came to do. But he is the one that creates where we can be healed. It's all the things that he brings. So, and when it was, he felt, and Paul was saying, so wonderful was their awakening or their turning to the Lord and turning to God that he could say of them from you, you know, sounded out the word of the Lord, that he saw where they were having movement and that they were changing. And he saw that there was something in them that had radically changed that he knew that God was going to be able to use in the community that they lived around, which is what God wants for us. You know, so these wonderful results, the apostle attributes entirely to the power of the Holy Ghost, accompanying the word of God and giving it such authority that they received it. Not as a word of man, but as a direct message from the living God. That's what God wants you to realize, is that this isn't just coming as words from one person. Who's coming forth and who's coming to you is a spirit. So even when Bob preaches on Sunday, Bob has some, Dave preaches on Sunday, and when you sit under teaching, you want to know that the Holy Spirit is literally moving. These are people just coming with just words that they have found. It's things that God is, is giving to them to give to you. And even before I came here this morning, it's at the utmost importance when I stand before you that I am not bringing what I think. I'm bringing what I know in the depths of my heart that this is what God is giving me to give to you. So that's what you want. 
you'll know at times because sometimes you'll have moments of enthusiasm depending on what's being, but it doesn't live there. It's not like you take it and you think, you know what, I really need to think about this or I need to go in and study on this. Don't you leave here sometimes or for wherever you want to go and something has been given to you where it's just like, what is that supposed to mean? I don't understand that, but I want to go home and I want to dig it up. That's the spirit bringing things to you. It's not the person because he wants you to look at it. Things at times that when you're being taught, you don't. It's like, I don't understand any of that or I don't get this. It's asking him to relate that or you don't like it. There are scriptures that I've read, i got to tell you truthfully, I'm like, I don't, I don't particularly like that. I don't like reading that. But I want to know why I feel that way. And I want to have an attitude that changes, Lord, if that's what you want to lead me with. So those are the things that I think that he moves us in. This is the first element in the power of the Spirit, is that it takes the worker and the speaker out of view and brings to the hearer face-to-face -face with the authority of God. What Paul was saying wasn't about me. It, for the first time in your life, it's not about me. It's not about anyone else, but this is about the authority of God that is being spoken to you. And it brings them, for the first time in their lives, being able to hear the word that they know that this is from God. It's different. This thing is like right in my face. Can you still hear me? Okay. This is what Paul means when he says that his word came to them with much power or assurance. This means literally boldness. He spoke to them as a messenger direct from heaven, and they so received him. And his message was not with wisdom of words, nor studied. You know what? One of the things I was looking at, it was a thing that I read, rhetoric. You think of rhetoric as something that's negative, but rhetoric, it was, because what they were saying, it was designed to be like per per persuasive. You know, like a man trying to persuade you. That was not the way the word was given. It was given in power and they knew it. You know, or to impress somebody with something. It's when it's being spoken that way. Because I don't know about you guys, but in my life growing up, I have been places. I remember one time going to a, well, maybe I shouldn't bring it up. <laughs> oh, you want me to bring it anyway? <laughs> it was, um, Oh, it's like a healing thing, but it was like a really strange person. And my mother knew it and knew where they were coming, and she was going, I don't know what's going over there. And so, of course, like any little 13-year-old, we got together with friends and decided we're going anyway. But there were things that were being done that was per it was persuasive. There were things being said that was like, hmm, you know, until we got further into it, and then it was like, oh, I think God just watched over us, and I knew, okay, this is not the right place. So what did we do? We came home. We didn't tell anybody. None of us didn't tell our parents. We turned around and went back the next time. <laughs> then it got even worse. That was it. That was the end of it. Not doing this anymore. But, you know, it's, or that you aren't just hearing the preaching is with words only, you know, logical words, rhetorical words, well-uttered words, and perhaps... One of the things that I'd said, they even use the word pathetic, but what pathetic really means is that it's not what you, it's, it's, it's of, of importance to a certain extent, but it's not the way that you, you would think of it. You know, and it's just words, words, words that, that can move you to tears, to enthusiasm, but in the end, they're only words. Because sometimes you'll hear or you'll be someplace and it can be emotional. But I think there's a difference, because I don't know about you, but I know with me that there are times when I'm sitting and I'm listening to somebody that is bringing the word of God, I am moved to emotions. There's no question about that. I'm moved to emotions when it's being sung, because the words that are being sung, the spirit takes hold of. 
when they're his words. And there's ways to where I know, and it's not a thing I take with me knowing that it reaches a very deep place in my heart and my soul. And then I'm moved to emotions. At times, the because the, I think sometimes when people see other people crying, they think, oh gosh, what's going on with that? But there are times, it's just a place of you showing God, wow, you've been so good to me. And you're moved in that way. You can tell when he's moving, he's letting you know that when, the, when the, those kinds of emotions come, it's not just somebody talking to you, it's him relating, relating to you things that are different. And that you just know it's truth. I think that conviction of steel that I read was like, yes, because I feel like that's where I'm at in my life. I know, I know what I know because I know it's true. The Holy Spirit leads men beyond all forms of expression to the substance of God's great message of repentance and salvation. That is not just emotions, ladies. And then the necessity of immediate decision and obedience. It makes people do something and do it at once and forever. And when I read that, and when I was reading some of the things that I've written down, one of the things that I remembered was when I got saved and when I made the decision to go forward, this is exactly what happened to me. That I was sitting under good, sound preaching, and there was a call for us to get, for those that wanted to get saved, and I remembered, and I've shared this with others, my heart started beating so fast and so hard, I didn't know what to do with it. I thought, oh, the person next to me has to be hearing this. Because I knew that in this, it was asking, he was asking for a decision, and not a time to play, not a time to wait. The decision was now, and I got up and I went forward. And it doesn't mean that you don't come in increments. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't bring you in stages. But when it's time, that's what the call is. It's now. And it's, and it's you move when it's there. And you do it at once. And you know that it's forever. And in our church, you got to go forward. When you go forward, you get somebody that grabs you. They take you in the back. You go and you have a sit down with them. And they want to ask you, do you know what you just did? <laughs> Oh, I remember my lady. Her name was Ruth Yancey. She was way taller than me, too. She was such a sweet woman. But I think that that's when the Spirit is moving. You know it, that he's calling you. The word for power here is it's like dynamic, dy dynamite. It's explosive. It's a kind of power that breaks things up. It breaks up the conscience, and it convicts of sin. It breaks up the heart and melts it to repentance. He is the one that is moving you to repentance. It breaks the will into surrender and choice, and it breaks the fetters of sin and the habits of life and the bonds of our enemy. That's what it does. Not only does it speak to men in such a way of assurance, but it produces in them the same assurance. It makes them to know that God is speaking, to know that they are sinners, to know that they are lost, and then to know that they are saved. That's how we come to him. All, of, all three of those may come at various stages in your life, but they're coming. I don't know about the rest of you, but I can tell you right now, I knew when God was speaking and letting me know that I was a sinner because there are ways all I wanted to do was get away from that conviction. I hated it when it was happening, but I knew that it was true. Because for one, it goes at, it goes at, the, at the core of what my, um, what my sin nature is all about because I wasn't saved at that point, but he was convicting, you know? And he brings you to the point that you know that you're lost. Because before I got saved, how I got saved was two dreams. 
distinctly the same because I'd been raised in a church and knew that Jesus was coming back and my dream had him back I was in this dark place and there was rejoicing on the other side and I knew in my dream if I don't get there I'm lost forever and in my dream I kept trying to reach him but in my dream as close as I could get to him there would be a force that would pull me back when I finally had my second one I woke up and that's when I'm like I'm getting back to church I need to go and I need to hear the word of God and I need help. I knew I was lost. But you know what? In all of these things, what a beautiful God we have that he goes after us in those things. And he has the Holy Spirit now. We live in the dispensation of grace because ladies, the Old Testament, that's not what they had. But God still had ways to save them. But for us, it's completely different. But his unmerited favor in working in our lives is such a beautiful thing. So, ladies, when we felt this convicting and converting, transforming power, what do we do? Is that our reliance, our supreme and sole dependence for salvation for men and the service of other, of other people is what it should be when we're sensing that. It can't be that we think that we can move and make a difference in someone's life, because we can't. And if you're a mom sitting here and not a mom, an aunt, or whatever you are, and you have people in your life that you love, I think that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does bring to us, a need of wanting to see people saved. But we need to realize that we are not going to be able to save them. And that as long as we have the Holy Spirit living in us, his movement in us, and our being able to share with others is how they're going to come to know the Lord. One of the first results of the conversion of the Thessalonians was the spirit of joy. That's what I'm going to tear with you. And you received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. Because ladies, I think too that once we get saved, it's the burden of sin that is lifted off us. Am I the only one that experienced that? Anyone else here? That when you got saved, didn't you feel lighter? You know, because there's some places to where I shared, you know, there's with some of the with some of you in here, some of the consequences of sin, and they would get they would have to carry a dead body. They would attach the dead body to the back of someone, make them carry it around till they decompose. Can you even imagine that? But that's what sin felt like to me. Like I was carrying around a dead body. And how do I get rid of this? What do I do to get rid of this? And when I gave my life to Christ, there was a burden lifted. And I knew that I was a different person. And there was joy. Joy is not happiness. We sure know that. Happiness is, a, is an emotion that can happen. Right now, I'm happy. I could get a phone call. I could get a text when I walk out here. And it will take my happiness right to the dump. I mean, and have nothing. But joy, when Jesus says, you know, when Jesus had said he was a man of many sorrows. Jesus walked this world sorrowful. He walked and he wept. But he says, for the joy set before him, he had joy. He endured the cross. You know, we're part of that joy. So there is a place to where we can have what he wants to give us, to where there's joy in spite of all the things that are going on in our lives. When I hear about people that are living over in the Middle East and li living over in the Congo and living over and they're, and they're Christians, they're still a joyful place. I've actually seen for the women that are in the Congo, congregations of them that have given their lives to Christ and are living in conditions that are beyond anything I can even wrap my head around. Rhonda and I still talk about that. I have had a heart for those women for probably the last 10 to 12 years. But I'm telling you, I've never seen more joyful people, women, that literally sing and dance before God. 
So that joy is available to us. It's up to us to find it. The spirit of gladness is one of the immediate fruits of the Holy Spirit. The new life is essentially a joy life. It's up to us to find it. Banishing the very elements of sorrow and gloom and bringing us into the light of everlasting sunshine. The sun shines on us. We don't have to walk in this place unless we choose to. The joy of the Holy Spirit is not a natural emotion, and it is not dependent upon favorable circumstances or pleasant surroundings. In the present case, their joy is in an immediate contact and contrast with much affliction. That was what was happening to the church. They had everything to try them, persecution, the loss of friends, the danger of even death itself, and the very extremity of their affliction only developed a deeper and diviner joy that they had with God. When you look at Paul, look at all the things that happened to him, and you look at how he rejoiced in prison. You know, some of the prisons were in a, was in a ground, in some weird ground that they then would, would chain him to, but he would find ways of being able to find joy as he worshiped and he sang. And I thought to myself, what would I do in the bottom of that? <laughs> if I were placed in a, in a place like that? Are people that have been taken in concentration camps? Ladies, what do you do there? But we have the Spirit of God now that can help us get through that. So, as it is still today. Christian life is an everlasting paradox. I don't think it's easy to try to explain to people because, or to understand that the world cannot give it, and thank God for that, but it can't understand it, and the world cannot give it to us, and thank God that the world can't take it away from us. We cannot understand it ourselves. It is a song in the night that gives no other reason for its singing than that the song is there. It is a fountain in the desert that flows from no visible source and empties into no earthly outlet. It's ongoing, and it runs according to no prescribed channel. It is an artesian well that bursts from the rocky depths and flowers on without mechanisms of pumps, our endless chains, or human buckets or hands. It is glad just because there is a gladness that came from heaven and belongs to heaven and lives in heaven forever and lives with us. Remember in the story in the Old Testament with the, I don't remember which prophet it was, went and that, and he, and she just kept having her glass, everything filled up, was a continual filling, 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 filling. There was things that she needed, well that's what happens to us, it's a continual filling of the Holy Spirit for us. It is a blessed heritage, it is fortunate for those that possess it, even amid the depths of wants and lacking and need. We all live that way. It is an antidote to temptation and sin. It lifts us above the power of evil and holds us in the impregnable heights of peace and victory. It is a balm for sickness and pain and a holy elixir for nerve and brain and every outward ill. The Holy Spirit helps us through all of this if we give him the opportunity. It is an inspiration for service and gives an irresistible emphasis to our appeals to the sin-sick and sorrowing world. There's anywhere that I sense his movement in my life is in that. It is vain, ladies, to call the lost and weary to the gates of mercy when our countenance is always showing forth the tired manner and the somber, sorrowful, mournful. When, we're, when we are presenting that to a world around us, what do they believe? 
Because I'm telling you truthfully, there's been times that's exactly what I've presented to somebody. Because I've lost my hope. I've lost going to the source and the fountain that's constantly flowing to bring joy to a deep place in my soul and in my heart. Because she tried to tell people, oh, you want this faith, you want it. We want you to have it when we can't live it. The joy of the Lord is our strength, not only for holiness, but for health and happiness and a holy influence on others' hearts and lives and in all the work for God and man. That's what people look at. There has to be people in your life. Haven't you ever had people in your life, you don't know where it comes from, but just being around them, it's like you're having a bad day, you want to go find them. You don't know where it is and how they get it, but you want to be there are joyful people. So ladies, today, one of the things I would, I hope for you, is that your heart, that you can open your heart to receive the joy that the Spirit can give you. Ask for it. You know in the Bible it says you have not because you ask not? I, he tells me that a lot. You don't have it because you're not asking for it. Then it's just like, oh yeah. Where did that come from? Then we have an important part is what it is to be sanctified. It's the sanctification of the Spirit. And isn't it interesting? started with Deborah. Deborah brought it. Rhonda still taught on it. And then he brought it to me this morning. Not this morning. And the whole last week. The first thing that strongly impresses an ordinary candid reader of this verse is the strong and universal language in which sanctification is here spoken of as an essential part of our salvation. Because really and truly, what is sanctification, right? We've been set apart. We're different to be holy. It is stated in the most unambiguous language that we are chosen to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth. Because we've come, He has equipped us with faith, and we believe it. We are not chosen to salvation um, regardless of the spiritual condition. But we are chosen to those conditions, and one of the essential conditions is the sanctification of the Spirit. Aren't you glad you've been sanctified and set apart? You were sanctified and set apart before the, wor the world was even created. I still, when I think about that, he has always known me. It's just such an unbelievable concept to me. He doesn't have anything coming to him that he didn't already know. So each of you sitting in here this morning, you've always been known by God. It helps me to, it helps me to walk this life knowing that I'm empowered by his spirit, but also to know he knows everything about me. He knows everything I've ever done. He knows everything I'm going to do. But he still loves me, and he has set me apart for a work. And the older I'm getting, that's the more important thing in my life is that I want to be able to, to, to end my life well. I want to be able to give to him all that I can. Because I think when I first got saved, you're in that whole holy, I mean the honeymoon stage. Woo! And thank goodness I'm kind of glad it wasn't like initially when I got saved. I didn't know all of what was coming. I'm so glad God doesn't tell. I probably would have walked away and said, no, nah, I don't want all this. But oh, how thankful I am now. How any man or woman can expect salvation and yet be indifferent to his sanctification, which means I don't really have to worry about this, you know, is really hard for me to understand. To think that no matter what I do, it's okay. There are consequences to choices we make. But we've been sanctified, set apart to be holy. The salvation consists largely in the sanctification itself for us. And thus alone, we are saved from the poison, I mean, from the, from the sin 
that is soul-destroying. God has set us apart and saved us from all of what sin does to us. If there's anything to give God thanks for, is that. And that Jesus came and made it available to us. Sanctification is here attributed to the Holy Spirit. It is his work, not ours. It is as much a part of, you know, what God has done in Christ as our justification and forgiveness. Its nature is very fully expressed in the Apostles' Prayer. The very God of peace, or the God of peace himself, sanctify you through and through, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a, what a beautiful prayer to be prayed over. Faithful is he that called you, who also will do it. God himself must do this work, and he does it through the Holy Spirit. We're not going to be able to do all these things ourselves, and I think sometimes we lose sight of that. It's why the Holy Spirit is so important for us to reconcile and remember that he's the one doing the work. The word sanctify here has three specific meanings, namely to separate from, to dedicate to, and to fill with. Now that's the one thing. Do you get up every morning? Because to be truthful with you, if I'm moving, like if I have a morning where I've got my grandkids, I have two of them that live across the street, that I'm up getting ready and all I know is they're in my head, they're in my home when I come out of the shower. And then I'm moving around like a crazy person. I'm looking at what time I have to be here. The oldest one is going, I'm hungry. Dad hasn't fed me because <laughs> he's not a cook. And I'm thinking, thinking, thinking and getting everything done, but I've lost sight of going, you know what? I'm going to yield my life today to Christ. And I'm going to pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit. And when I do that, my life is different. I know that's a simple statement, but it is truly, it helps. When we're asking for the Holy Spirit to fill us, he's the one that then is moving. First, we must lay off and separate from the old life of self and sin. The only way we're going to do that is with him. You know, then secondly comes the dedication. You know, we dedicate our lives, we yield our lives to Christ. These are all important things that we have to do. And to walk with the Lord, it's important that we do those things. You know, because ladies, our life is not our own. And I think sometimes we, lit, we walk and we live as though it is. So first he shows the soul its need of sanctification, its inherent and hopeless sinfulness, and its utter inability to bring a clean thing out of unclean or live a holy life with an unholy heart. Next, the Holy Spirit shows us God's provision for our sanctification and the free gift of Christ's efficiency for us. Of his atonement for the death and for our old self, the power of his blood and the willingness of the Holy Spirit to undertake this work, to cleanse our heart and to dwell within it. Because these are important things for us to recognize and to realize this is what's happening. Then it leads us to the next step, a glad and full surrender and commit, committal of our soul to him for his work, an unreserved separation from all evil and an equally unreserved dedication to all to God and to his perfect will. So all those things are important on how we walk and how we live, but we need to be realizing that these are all things that the Holy Spirit does through us, not that we do of our own making. And sometimes I think that's where we still put ourselves under the law as to what was being shared last week. We aren't under the law. When we're walking with the Spirit, we're just fulfilling what the law really called us to do. The law is a beautiful thing. It's how God wants us to live. But when we're trying to live it, thinking, I'm going to accomplish this, we fail on an ongoing basis. But when we're walking in the Spirit, what He's doing is He's changing your desires, your attitudes, your motives. He's changing all of those things. And before you you know it, you're moving out because you want to. 
not because you have to. I don't know about you, but I don't like feeling compelled to do something for God. I don't, I don't feel like I honor him in being compelled. I want to do it because I love him. The more you spend time in the word, the more you read, the more the spirit shows and brings to you the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done, you will love him more. And that's something that he equips you with. Love is a gift too, isn't it? Then he accepts us and makes real the transition into which he has entered by full surrender and appropriating faith. We have been given faith. That's also a gift. These are things that it's what the Holy Spirit does, and I think at times we lose sight of that. When all we think we have to do is read. We just read the, read the Bible. We read the book. We read about Jesus. We just read words, but we're not... We're not giving what we need to give to the Holy Spirit to be able to move on us and let us know, I will equip you in this. And so we try it in our own strength. And then we wonder why. It's At times you come to a point where it's like, I, I don't even want to do this. Maybe I'm the only one that this happens to, but I think that probably for, all, for many of you in here this morning, this has been a different, it's difficult. That it's not difficult when the spirit takes over. In one sense, this work is instantaneous. That's what I want you to realize. When you got saved, all of you here, the moment that you gave your life to Christ, and you know that you gave your life to Christ, it was instant that the spirit of God enters you. It has a definite beginning and a moment in which we count it all eternally, eternally settled. Now, one thing that happens that I have seen throughout my life, when a newbie gets saved, the enemy goes right at them and has them want to doubt everything that they've done. That is not from God, but he wants you to doubt. Am I really saved? But it's instant that the Spirit comes in and should give you some sense of his being in your life. And another sense is progressive. As he leads us from one step to one step to another, from strength to strength and from grace to grace, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit that leads us, that's what he's doing. It's not like your life, how God sees you already seated. Because there are sometimes, that's a scripture as well, he already sees you completed and done and seated in the heavenly realms. Your job, your role, is to just walk with him. So everything that you try to do, maybe outside yourself, may not be what he's calling you to do. You just walk. But it's like he's already seen you completed. You guys, that should be a joyful thing for you. He knows where we're going. He knows your sin nature. He knows where you're going to fail him. He knows all of that. But as we're walking with the Spirit, we don't have to get ourselves burdened down with that. And each new revelation of light comes as we move with him on an ongoing basis. He calls for new obedience and new advances. That is a true statement. The older I'm getting, he's asking me to do things he never asked me when I was young. Obedience to this. And it's difficult. But what I'm realizing, the things that are coming to me at this age in my life that are so difficult for me to do at times has to do with somebody that is truly can be cruel or mean-spirited or like an enemy. How do I love that when it's somebody that's continuing to hurt you or continuing to keep you in this place? I'm going to tell you, without the Spirit of God living in me, equipping me, that's where I felt this otherworldly agape love that fills me when I'm asking, Lord, I need help. And in a way, I feel the presence of God when that's something I can do like I've never felt in my life. 
Yet while we walk in the light, we are fully accepted according to the light we have and counted holy and well-pleasing. Listen, ladies, he sees the holiness of Christ in us. That's a beautiful thing, too. It is after we receive his sanctification and enter into perfect union with him that our real growth begins. Because that's what happened. When you first got saved, the beginning of your life, you had been born again. You had a new life, and it began then. Whether you see it all or not, I see it in little kids that get saved. It's so cool to watch when a little one gets saved and to see that God begins to do a work in their lives. To see how they receive things and how God is moving, but he is continually moving with them in the same way he is moving with you. It's a blessing is what it is. And so in that, where our growth begins, Christ has yet to learn the depth. I mean, we've, we have learned. The church has, lot, has gone to a point to where the depths and heights and the breadths of the fullness of life in the spirit, what it's like. As the providence of God makes new situations for the, uh, the obedient disciple from day to get day, the Holy Spirit fits us into them by his all-sufficient grace. So that's why from one day to another, you never know what's going to be happening and how he's going to move with you and how he's going to change you. And what is the next step? But what we do is we're obedient to just calling out to, to him and calling out to God and asking for his help. So with this, I'm going to move into where this is where the practical appeal that does come from the Holy Spirit. Quench not the spirit. Do you guys know what that looks like? What it feels like when you're quenching anyone? No hands are going up. What is going on here this morning? No hands? Well, then this is good. That's why he gave it to me, obviously. In view of these three blessed, I mean, in view of the aspects of the, what the Spirit brings you is power, joy, and sanctification. Okay? The Spirit's work, how tender and solemn the appeal is that he has given to us, because it is tender. Quench not the Spirit is what he's asking us. Don't quench me. Don't put me aside. Don't move out without me. While this primarily refers, it does, it does to the church, it's also to each individual within the church. To every true believer individually, he's asking us to be aware of him. It is possible for us as private Christians, I mean as individuals, to misunderstand and hinder and disobey the loving leadings of a gentle Holy Spirit. That we shall quench his joy and disappoint his greatest purpose of love. That was what, as I got in and read, I forgot about. I forgot that. I do not say that a soul that truly believes in Christ will be lost. That's not what I'm saying, as I'm going to share some of the things I thought. That's not the deal. But, ladies, it may lose very much of what salvation ought to mean for us. It is one thing to be lost. It is another thing to lose our crown. We will go to heaven once we are saved with the crown of salvation. There's also scriptures in the Bible that says, look, you don't want to go in by the skin of your teeth. It's presented differently. That's all you're going to have, skin of your teeth, because you've walked the majority of your life without giving yourself to the Spirit, and you've lived basically not carnal, but being like a carnal person. And it's one thing, like I said, but our Father's highest will, the scriptures are full of loving warnings against the danger of coming short of our full inheritance and losing out on our full reward. That's why he's saying, don't do this. The Holy Spirit is like a sensitive lover. 
A woman's heart is not won by a violent assault, but by the gentle approaches of respectful, sensitive, and considerate love. And at any point along the way, she can check and chill the advances of the heart that woos her, until at last she quenches the love that would have laid it all at her feet. So when we are saying no, we're walking away from things that could be given to us. He will accept no sacrifice which is not freely given. That's what I mean by compulsion. He wants it free. He wants you to move because you love him. He will not accept, um, he, he will require no obedience that is not gladly rendered. But he does, he does ask us for sacrifice and obedience as proof of how we love him. And he does place us in situations of perplexity and trial through which we alone can receive the training which his love has been designed to give us. So ladies, when we are walking in that, that's a part of why he is asking us, look, don't lay me aside and don't try to walk in this because in this there's losses. Walk with me. Now here it is that disobedience and refusal may come in. We may shrink from his gentle leading. We may refuse the trial through which he would bring us to some glorious victory. We may choose the easier path and shun the dreaded cross. But in so doing, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We arrest our own progress and we compel our God to wait until we are ready to go forward with him. And after a while, we may so wear out his patient love that he shall find us unfit to receive the blessing he had for us. And I've read, he can find other people if we are not willing to go with him. I don't want that for myself. I don't want that for you. We compel our God to wait when we're not willing to walk with him. He designed, he shall find us unfit. And he designed for us, while he, we may not lose our soul, we shall reject a crown that we can lay at his feet. There are souls that I have met some that, are, that have lost something out of their life forever and perhaps have become so hardened that they do not even know what they have lost. I've met people like that. They just let bitterness creep in and the hardness of the heart creeps in and they're not walking. And it doesn't mean they're not saved. But they've lost something that they can't get back. It is possible to take a piece of iron red hot and then plunge it into the water and cool it. And do this so many times that at last the very metal scales, they fall off like ashes and the temper and substance of the iron is corroded and destroyed. I don't think any of you are doing that, but this is a reality. It does happen and I have seen it. Depending on what is happening and we're having a difficult time coming to terms with God and wanting to figure out why we're in this place. I know somebody very close to me that this is where they're at. I know they're saved. And when I spend time with that person, it's continually praying for them to have a renewed mind again. It is possible to wear out our hearts by disobedience and repeated, repeated chills of divine love until at last there is nothing left but dross. So let us be careful, ladies, on how we play with the voice of God and what he's speaking to us and the infinite everlasting gentleness and love of the mother heart of the Holy Spirit that asks us, please quench not my spirit. Those are some good things that I'm hoping that you guys can take with you. But at the end of this too, and letting you know, you know, 
there's always a, there's always a second over. It's always going back and always doing, no matter where we're at right now, moving in a way and moving towards God that we can still walk with him and knowing that what is in the past is in the past and what is happening today is today and what's happening tomorrow. But ladies, I think the most important thing, so you can reach that place, because I'm going to be truthful. When I sat and I was reading through all of this and reading through the scriptures, I know that I have crowns that I will, ha I will not have because of not walking with him. I know that I have reached and I have walked at times where I've walked in the flesh. But I don't want to do that. But there's always available to us to again pick up and move with the Spirit. There's a big difference, ladies, between the Spirit residing in us, which is true of all born-again believers, and the Spirit reigning in us. That's what I was at. And when I was reading, that was what I felt like God saying to me, He resides in you, I know that. But is He reigning in you with Christ? Is He reigning? The Spirit is ready and willing and eager to reign in all of us, but His power is blocked until we surrender fully to God. Remember, do you know that song, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Jesus I surrender? I surrender all. That's what he wants from us on an ongoing basis. Daily, you can get up and yield, surrender. Once we surrender to God and ask the Spirit to fill us, he will begin to change our lives. If you don't see change going on in your life, and I say that to me too, Lord, if I'm not changing, I'm not yielding. I'm moving out and I'm living this life in my own strength and I'm not changing. In ways that will amaze and delight you is when he moves with you. It does. It's amazing. It's delightful. The Holy Spirit will actively carry forward the process of transforming you through the renewing of your mind. The process works from the inside out. It is not simply the changing of external behaviors, but the changing of their source. So it's not just what we read and that we do that we think that by my behavior, it's changing at the source of what we're doing. Renewed minds produce renewed thinking, values, attitudes, desires, motives, and behaviors. It's the spirit that's changing those in you, and you'll know it when it happens. I think that's the biggest kick I get out of all of it. I love it when all of a sudden I'm realizing, wow, I did not do this, and I don't have any desire for this anymore, and I don't even know where that, now I know where this has come from, because it's not me doing it. At the deepest level, we will begin to experience the expulsive power of a new affection. That's one of the things he brings to you. Our hearts will increasingly appreciate. Ladies, if there's any way that you're going to know, because this is what has happened for me in my life, you will appreciate God's grace to you in ways that you can't even imagine. He who has been forgiven much, he, the Holy Spirit will bring to you, you have been forgiven so much, loves much. And you realize the unmerited favor that God has brought to you and it's overwhelming. It's not an affection, and it's not something I can conjure up myself. It's something that he brings to me. And my relationship with God changes and walks when I'm there. And our minds will increasingly desire God and his will more than our sin and its pleasures, thus weakening the hold on us. Because I'll tell you, sin, when it initially gets hold of you, 
There's pleasure in it. To say there's not is not being truthful, but it has its grip only so long. And then when I see the broken places and the broken people that it has its claws in, it's unbelievably sad for me. I'm overwhelmed in sadness in that for them. The scriptures are, are the Holy Spirit's chief instruments. That's why it's important, ladies, that you're in it every day. In renewing your minds and his primary focus, this is what I love about the Holy Spirit. His primary focus, ladies, is on Jesus. Glorifying Jesus to us. Look it up, John 16, 14. You don't have to do it now, but look it up. He does this through illuminating our minds and our hearts to grasp ever more deeply the love of God and of Jesus for us to focus our attention on his life. His works, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, and ascension into glory will grant us so to hear and read, mark, and learn inwardly in the Bible what this is all about. And you're going to have deeper understandings of him, and he'll bring that to you in new ways. To where it's hard when somebody says, how do you love, how do you love God? This is how you begin to love God. He does a work in you as you read about him. It'd be like a love letter some, from some guy that's in the military that's, that's overseas and he's sending something to his beloved. And she's reading and she's learning and she's, she's taking in what is being said. It's the same thing that God does with us, but it's being told to us. It's being given to us through his spirit that illuminates us and empowers us to receive things about God that we would not be able to do if we're going at that word in our carnal nature. Because I can tell you, it's different when I read it. Like those mornings I told you when I've gotten up and I'm running late, I'm running in, I'm grabbing, and I'm reading the Bible, and I'm not asking the Holy Spirit, will you please illuminate me this morning? Give me words that have power and, and change my way of thinking. I just read it. I mean, it's good to read it because I do have those little cards. Anybody that comes to my house ever, I've got cards in the bathroom and in the kitchen. And they're in these little containers to where anybody that wants, you know what, in the bathroom, it's getting less and less. People are going in to use my bathroom and take my cards. I go in and I'm like, whoa, there's more missing. I'm so glad. But I want them. I want people to take them, to be able to read them and then ruminate with them, you know? Because this word is powerful. You know, one of our main responsibilities in this process is to sit under good, okay, and you have that. I'm going to tell you, you've got good preaching at this church. You do. I've been to places where I've had to question it, even though I know they're saved. There's sometimes I'm sitting under stuff where like, what is that about? And I go home and I have to read it, you know? Teaching and also read, study, memorize, and meditate on scripture. The time pondering and deeply reflecting upon him and all he has done, our love for him will grow, and with it, our desires to please him and be like him. That is a true statement. That's why you're told on an ongoing basis, stay in the word, read the word, because it changes your life, because you have the Holy Spirit that changes it in you. It's not, because I remember I had a woman that lived next door to me for years, and we got to be friends, you know, and, and uh, I can remember her saying one time, she's not, a, she's not a Christian, but the Lord placed her in my life, and so we had all kinds of years that I could share things with her, meet with her. And there were many times it wasn't like I was going to beat her over the head with scripture. But I remember one time she did say to me, she goes, I just don't understand your faith in this at all. She said, because how do you go about having a relationship with words on a page? You know, and that really did speak to me. To where for so many people, that's all it is. And how it saddened me. Because they're not just words on a page. 
They're letting you know about who the Word is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They're not just words on a page. And now we've had the Holy Spirit come to be able to illuminate them that makes them real to us. So it's important to read them, stay in them. By immersing ourselves in scriptures, consistently walking in the Spirit and asking him to reveal the transforming glory of Christ to us and obediently following as he leads us, we will see the fruit of the Spirit maturing in our lives and we will find ourselves being transformed from one level of glory to another by the Spirit transformed into the image of Jesus himself. It isn't easy, it involves challenge and discipline and may lead to hardship or persecution. And it takes a lifetime, ladies. But the rewards are infinitely greater than anything this world could give you. And with that, I'm completed and I'm done. I know that was a lot, but you know what? When I got in, what I was looking at and where God led me, I felt these are things that I'm hoping will be helpful for you to know that it's not just that you got saved. It's not just that Jesus died on the cross. With all of that, Jesus dying on the cross, being resurrected is why we have the Holy Spirit. But you know, one of the things I read too, it was another thing where it asked, Do you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I got that from, from something. And I had to sit and I had to think about that. It's a good question. It might be something that you can, you know, it's something I'm hoping with what I shared with you today. There is because there's realities of when you have been saved and you do have the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just even in ways you may find yourself loving somebody differently. Because I, I kind of printed that out because I, I thought, well, I don't want anybody being weirded out about it. If they're like, no, I didn't, I didn't really feel anything. I didn't, you know, because when you're a little guy, when they're little and they're getting saved, what do they know? They're like, they're so sweet when they're young and they're getting saved. But there are some things that you can know, and I think it helps, you know, to where you're seeing yourself being more obedient to the Lord. You're, you're finding yourself wanting to go to church. When I was in my teens, I didn't want to go to church. I was tired of going to church. Once I got saved, it's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in fellowship. There's simple things that you can look at and know. That's evidence that you're walking in the Spirit. And with that, you know what I am. I'm going to let you play the song, and then they're going to go into there. But you know, when all because ladies, one of the things my mom always she had it on the refrigerator for as long as I could remember. She would say to me on an ongoing basis, Denise, when all is said and done, only what's done for Christ is going to last. That's what you're going to go to heaven with. What have you done for Him? And with the Spirit of God living in us, He equips us to be able to go and to leave knowing I've done it all to the best of my ability with His help. Because when all is said and done. It doesn't matter what I've done. He's going to ask me, Denise, did you love me and what did you do for me? So it's a song that kind of ends with that. And you know, it's one of my favorites. I've thought a lot of times, okay, when God calls me home, what song would I want sung at my funeral? Because honestly, that's the goal of my life. When all is said and done, I want to know what I've done has everlasting qualities to it. And I, you know what, I like all kinds of music, but I love Irish music. So that's what this is.